I am truly, truly, truly thankful for my three, yes y'all, three sponsors of my first episode. Want to know more about them? You know I got you. First, I would love to thank 11 and B. 11 and B is an Etsy shop owned by Ariel Broussard. Hey Ariel. The purpose and goal is to bring a unique style, joy, and a smile to many by designing creations made with love and attention to detail. This shop features personalized items such as tumblers, Starbucks cups, wine glasses, doormats, and so much more. Now, I'm going to tell you guys because you know I'm honest. 11 and B is the place to go. So if you want to know more about 11 and B, head over to her Instagram at 11 E L E B E N A N D B. That's at E L E B E N A N D B. Are you looking for the right AirPod case, the right Apple Watch band, or just simply the right case for your phone? Yeah, I know how hard it is sometimes, but my best friend, Jamila, has what you need. Yes, Case Me Mila is the place to go. You can shop at casememila.com or you can follow her on Instagram at case, K-A-S-E, M-E underscore M-E-E-L-A-H or case me, Mila, the same spelling, dot com. Go ahead and make your purchase today. Hey, Mila. My Girl Talk listeners are pretty stylish. So I went ahead and hooked you all up with a discount code from one of our sponsors for this episode, Pretty Couture. Pretty Couture is an online store where you'll find stylish, ready-to-wear, chic women's apparel. So for my lady listeners and men for your significant others, make sure you visit shopprettycouture.com and use the code GIRLTALK at the checkout for a 20% discount on your next purchase. Get it while it lasts exclusively for my Girl Talk listeners. Real, raw, authentic, and transparent. This is the Girl Talk Podcast. are going to be in for a treat. I just want to let you guys know that this is a safe space where real, raw, and authentic and also transparent conversations happen. Uh, the topic for tonight is probably going to be a little bit sensitive, but as you guys may know, or as you guys know, I, you know, I care about the sensitivity, but at the same time, I really don't because this is my podcast. So, with that being said, I really want to introduce you guys to my panel that I have tonight. I'm going to first start off by calling their name, but I want them to tell you guys who they are in depth. Um, First, I'm going to call on the beautiful, the beautiful Miss Adrianette Williams. Hi, Adrianette. Hi, 
guys. Hey, my name is Adrienne Williams. I'm a practicing attorney. I am the managing attorney for dependency cases uh, in Tampa and all over Hillsborough County. I'm the former assistant director of Florida Bar. I served two years there. Uh, I have a background in higher education. I was a college professor before I went to law school. So I have about 12 years, uh, almost 13 years of presentation and uh, instructional experience for adults. And I have parlayed that into a consulting firm, uh, Networking Consulting LLC, which I just recorded the top, the most viewed webinar in the history of the American Bar Association last week. So. Yeah! Good week. That's what I'm talking about, sis. Black girl magic, period. <laughs> yes. Okay, you can go ahead. You go ahead. That was it. So thank you guys for having me here. And um, I'm super excited about uh, what you have to offer uh, to your listeners. And I hope to meaningfully contribute in some way today. Yes. Thank you. See, I told y'all, <laughs> we're going to have a bomb panel tonight. She came through the gate. Letting y'all know her credentials. So if you're in Hillsborough County, Tampa, Tampa area, you need some services, I got the plug. <laughs> Next, we're going to go and I wanted to introduce you guys to somebody that you guys probably already know because he's already famous, Mr. Jakari Harris. Jakari. What's up, what's up, what's up? Thank you for having me tonight. Y'all, Jakari got on this turn today. I'm sorry. It Jakari feels great, you all. Good. Jakari is thank you, thank good. you. You all look great as well. I mean, y'all look amazing. Yes. But of course, Jakari Harris here, Jay Harris. Um, it's it's a great it's a great day. I'm glad to be here. Um, a little bit about myself. Went to Bethune Cookman, uh, student body president. Did a um, study abroad in Senegal, West Africa. I've worked with attorney Ben Crump, Senator U.S. Kamala Harris. Worked on a few campaigns. Um, now I work as a litigation manager at a law firm here in Houston. Um, I'm preparing for my book release this year, Lost and Found, so get ready for that. And I'm just walking in my purpose. I'm glad to be here. You better walk. You better run into that thing. That's what I'm talking about. Period. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, then I really want to, I was going to save her for last, but I was like, girl boy, girl boy, you know. So I have my beautiful sister, um, on with me tonight you know she had to be on the first episode and I had to utilize her in some type of way this is my PR my sis, sis what I call you a sister sister <laughs> she is my manager unofficially until I got uh I can put her on payroll uh, <laughs> uh, she will be serving as our moderator to help guide us through this conversation because it will get that um, I have Miss Ursula James. Hey, sis. Hello. Hey. How's everyone doing tonight or today, wherever you are in the country? Yes. You know, we reach I'm doing great. Wonderful. I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation. Thank you, Ashante, for making me a part as moderator. Um, I'm a graduate of Florida A&M University on the highest of Seven Hills, Seven Hills in Tallahassee. <laughs> I am a communications director and wardrobe stylist, so I'm multifaceted. Um, but today, tonight, I will serve as your assist moderator during this conversation. Yes, y'all, y'all heard that. Um, she's also the one of the sponsors of tonight's episode, so you'll be hearing a little bit more about all that she does outside of her communications world. Um, Last but not least, we have the baby of the group, but don't take that any type of way. Like, this young man is powerful, okay? You talking about MLK and Malcolm X put together. 
if they was to, yeah, this will be him. <laughs> I have Mr. Rashawn Young. Rashawn. You're, you're, I am glad to, listen, I am so excited to be here with you all this evening and be about, uh, be amongst so many, you know, world changers, trailblazers, you know, pioneers. We want to take over the world, literally. Um, so just a little bit about myself. I'm a fourth year mass communications major at Bethune-Cookman University. Um, there I do a little bit of everything on campus and, you know, I'm just really involved. I own my own company. It's Rashawn Young Communications Consulting. We do private communications, brand development, content ideation, development, all of that. Like we do the whole nine yards. You need it, we can do it. Um, and I am also the International Social Justice Chairperson for the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, and at so- At 21, at 21, who can do, like, where, where did your parents get you? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I like to say that I, I like to think that, you know, it was more like immaculate conception, like Jesus, the Lord impregnated my mother, and that is how I feel. <laughs> and so, now I'm here. <laughs> now you're here, and I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, as you guys can see, so far, we have, like, to, I'm just in awe to be amongst, I'm honored to be amongst everybody. Um, yeah, I'm like. We, we can't leave you out. You oh, are our share the girl talk queen, the girl Ashante talk queen. Williamson. I mean, tell us. Okay, tell us. so I am Ashante Antoinette Williamson. I hail from the beautiful city of West Palm Beach, Florida. Shout out to Florida A&M, where I started my matriculation in higher education. But I am a graduate of the great Bethune Cookman University. Um, I majored in political science. Upon graduation, I was a junior lobbyist with the largest international uh, lobbying firm, Becker and Poliakos, and I was working with this amazing Black woman. She was the only shareholder of this white firm, you guys. Her name is Yolanda Cash Jackson. Attorney Yolanda Cash that is my mentor, okay? She took me under her wing. I worked in Roth legisl legislative sessions um, in the year 2015. Um, she gave me all private HBCUs in the state of Florida as my clients, um, which was very powerful. And I got recognized by the president at the time of my alma mater, uh, Dr. Edison O. Jackson, and the Vice President of Institutional Advancement, who is now the President of Virginia Union University, Dr. Hakeem Lucas, shout out to Dr. Lucas. Um, and I was, they recruited me to come back to Bethune-Cookman University to work in the Office of Institutional Advancement. Um, there I worked, oh my gosh, I did so much. There I worked, uh, <laughs> I worked in IA. Uh, I was already kind of known anyway because I was a student leader on campus. Like I transferred schools, got the Cookman and literally took over. Didn't need a title to do any, didn't need a title to do work. I just went in, hit the ground running. <laughs> I was known as like Olivia Pope, minus the scandal because we're not about that life over here. Uh, <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I was known around campus, uh, and I was also known for my ad advocacy work. So the March to the Polls um, on the students' end, 
constructed that anytime you wanted to bring it, Obama for America at the time, what? Yeah, Obama for America. I was the student lead for that. Um, you name it, I did it. Worked in IA, uh, started off as an advancement specialist, got promoted to operations manager uh, for the division, and um, then shifted over into public affairs. One of the accomplishments while there that I like take to my heart is being a part of the uh, committee that helped get Dr. Bethune, I, I guess, I want to say elected, but what's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Help, help get Dr. Bethune installed. Yes, installed. Or got the bill passed uh, to get Dr. Bethune's statue installed or to replace the Confederate general that represents the state of Florida. So yes, I was a part of that group, uh, that team. And um, then on the back end, I was a part of the initial fundraising of the funds for the university to make sure that it actually happens. So Dr. Bethune, to my knowledge, Ursula, please correct me if I'm wrong, she will be the revealing or unveiling will probably be around the inauguration time next year. Yes. So it may happen with COVID. But yes. So yes, I was a part of that. I'm so happy to say that. And I'm so happy I could tell my kids that when we go look at the statue with my child. That when I go look at the statue. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. I'm really one to be in the background. I really, I hate being on the forefront, but um, even now I work in, I'm currently located in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I, I worked in the education sector in the nonprofit world uh, for the Jacksonville Education Fund. And I shifted out now, I am at the Cultural Council of Greater Jacksonville, working in the Office of Development. Um, so I'm like, I don't know, God just put it on me to be great in fundraising. So now I'm like an up and coming black woman in the world of fundraising in a city that I don't even know, not know like that, but I am thriving and I'm thankful for it. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> since y'all put me out there like that um so tonight we will be talking about movement moment and religion we know that of course we have so much going on in the world today um a lot of with Black Lives Matter, we got the Confederate statue or monument getting snatched up, taken down, thrown down. Uh, we got the killings and the shootings of our black uh, black brothers and sisters happening. We have millennials calling out the church because if they feel like the church isn't doing their part, we are just like in a discombobulated time right now. Um, so this conversation will kind of bring all of it together from our point of view. We are a very opinionated group of people. So if you don't like it, oh well. Um, we know you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to listen because y'all know me. So this is going to be that conversation. You know we are going to be raw about what we have to say. You know we're going to be real what we have to say. And we're going to be transparent. But also we have an, a heart that's very authentic. So we may care about your feelings just a little bit. So I want us to dive right into the conversation. 
Um, I have my assistant moderator here that's going to keep us on track and she's going to help guide us if we, if we get, <laughs> get off a little bit. Um, but I wanted to throw our first question out there. Outside of a hashtag, what does the Black Lives Matter, what is the Black Lives Matter movement? I don't know if anybody wanted to answer that question. Um, I'll start first. Okay. Um, for me, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it's really focusing in and going in depth in the figure out what is the root of the issues to Black lives when it comes to the, the culture, the world, the economy. Um, yes, you know, in particular right now is dealing with, you know, the police, you know, killings and things, but it's bigger than that as well. Um, we're looking at the education, we're, we're looking at, you know, the affordability, the finances, the different things that um, circulates in or goes within a black life compared to, you know, the white life. You know, what, what, are, what are the uh, pros, it's like, it's like it's pros and benefits of being black and why aren't we as equal as the whites? Why are we like on the same page? Why is it that, you know, black women get paid much more or less than you know white women and different things of that nature so um when it comes to black lives matter yes it's you know it's a big component of the killings and police brutality but it's another component of what is the root of the issues and how can black lives really come together as a unit and move forward and say hey this y'all y'all know the issue and if you don't know the issue we're going to educate you first on the issue and then we're going to come up with solutions to these issues so that we can work together and the issue I see is, you know, the other, the other side, the people who don't really care about the black lives or who have their own personal agenda or just an agenda, period, who is not really focusing on black lives, they come off as if they don't care or they, or they you know, move legislation and vote on policies and laws that show us that they don't care. So it's like we have to now prove ourselves to them. You should care. This is the reason why. I look at it as a anti-discrimination and pro-equality movement. And I think that, um, I think it's so interesting, the more we talk about Black Lives Matter, is we talk about movements in the past and we say it's pro-Black. This is just anti-people who are anti-Black. That's all this movement is, to say, don't hate on us, leave us alone, let us be equal. And um, unfortunately, we live in an era where certain individuals, uh, when the thought of equality is um, on the table, it feels like they are being discriminated against when they have to give up that privilege. And it's amazing what people will do to hold on to that privilege. And they would rather us suffer in silence than to go through the pains of making sure that we have we are treated the same uh that we have the same resources and opportunities uh, so rather than that um they rather sit in silence and i think that's actually the biggest enemy not 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 racist not people who are openly against black people or any other culture i think the biggest enemy of um Black people or people of color are people who are complacent, 
people who allow it to happen, um, who don't care one way or the other, or who don't have anything to say when something bad happens, but always try to tell you how to react once something bad happens to you. Um, and that's just kind of a holistic view of what I see of the situation, not necessarily like what I feel personally about the Black Lives Matter movement, but just kind of what I have taken from it. Um, and so from that, Ashanta and I were talking yesterday about a social injustice issue and our community being quiet about things. Just from your opinion, why do you think that is? Why do we become hush about certain issues when other cultures and communities speak out immediately? Are you asking me? <laughs> okay. This is a great question because this is something that I think that every person who sees that something is wrong and wants to do something about it feels. And I think I've always felt like, am I doing enough? Am I speaking up enough? Um, if I'm not posting every day, do people know that I still care about this cause? Yeah. If I'm not marching on the front lines because I just came out of a boot, like do people right. think I don't care? No, seriously. So this is something we think about. And, and also, I think that people are, you know, when you are in a position to speak out against a person who is an uh, oppressor, mm -hmm. that's a person who has power over you in some way, okay? And so when you even look at movements that have happened in the past, they've been, the front line has been young, young, young people who don't have jobs and families, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and people who are not dependent on the system mm. that opposes us mm. to be able to speak out. And uh, we were, t I think I learned about this and we were talking about individuals, even if you talk about like Dookie Chase, people who own restaurants who would feed um, the um, civil rights leaders as they came through. You talk about funeral home owners who had the money because they're not dependent on the system to right. get their money. So you ask that question, why are people quiet? Because they got families to feed. Some people are afraid of what will happen. And also I, I talk about when you step up and you stand up, nobody stands up with you. So, and I talk about this even with so many of our leaders who we've seen stand up and lead us. So many times we put those people in the forefront, but when they fall, we are not there to stand up and support them. And I'm sorry to say that, but if you look at, you name a leader who has fallen, where we have really gotten behind that person, I'm not talking about tearing up and tearing down the street, but I mean like step up in that state and continue the work that was started before that person was eliminated. Right. That's why, in my opinion. And to even talk about that, prime example, I know this may be sensitive for the Rattlers, but you got Andrew Gillum. Like the situation happened with him and everybody, took his black card away. Like, and, it, and I understand what happened, but at the same time, like, this man was out here, even from our FAMU days, our love, like, he been grinding, even as mayor. He was out here, he was making changes. So now that he had this whole incident happen, everybody's like, no! <laughs> we don't support yellow. So, like, I get that. I understand that. And I wanted to dive into, like, who are, like, who are our leaders right now? Who are our Black people on the millennial spectrum? And even in the season, our season era of, of group of changers. Game changers. Game changers. <laughs> like, who, if y'all can name three people off the top of y'all head, 
Who are y'all? Who would y'all name? Well, I'm gonna um, pose that one to Jakari. Yeah. That's how <laughs> so honestly, when you just first said who who are the leaders, my first thing is we are. It starts with the mindset. Um, if your mind's not intact, if you if you don't have if you don't have if you're not coming up with ideas and plans, and if you are not being who your authentic self, and if you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you really won't know how to lead in or help to lead. So the leader starts within yourself. Um, yes, we can lead each other, but we all have different skills. You know, I'm stronger than one thing than you are, you're stronger than one thing than we are, and we all can come together as a unit and move this shit forward. Um, so I don't really think there is a who is the you know top three black leaders because everyone is doing something different. You know, we have Tony Ben Crump doing something. We have Angela Wyatt doing something. Uh, we have this other person, Tyler Perry, doing something. It may not be uh, focused solely on this particular one black lives, you know, this black lives matter, but it may be some type of standpoint or some segment that will have a ripple effect. So if they don't lead in their, their capacity, it'll, it will hurt. So I really think that we are all leaders. It's just the mindset of you, ha you, you have to take what you have and move forward. You, you can't become complacent. You can't uh, make up excuses. You can't uh, back down and not support those leaders who have those issues, who have those setbacks. Because at the end of the day, we're all imperfect people. And we're trying to change the game that's called life. So in order to do that, we have to uh, find ways to pick each other back up when we fall down. You know, we, you know, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. So I just think leaders are within. We're all leaders in some capacity, even when one don't think they are a leader, they think they're a follower. No, you are a leader in some way. But there is some instances whereas we do need you know, those followers to help guide us along the way, to help guide those leaders. So I don't know, Jakar. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Because okay. look at this presidential election that we have going on. We got uh, Biden. We don't even know who his pick is. Like at this point, brother should have dropped, well, bro should have dropped somebody. He should have dropped somebody on June yesterday. It would have been good to strategically drop somebody on Juneteenth. But, but at the same time, I feel like that's a shame that we still don't know who his VP is or the VP elect or pick is. And I feel like it's taking, it's, they're prolonging it because we don't have a lot of qualified people within our community that can fulfill that position. Or you said, you, 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 you said, you said, you said leaders within the black community. Right. Now, Democrat, you know, you know, I'm not saying they're majority black, you know, but what I am saying is you know, there are white people in the Democrats. So I really wasn't thinking on the presidential election. But I definitely can tap in that after Adrian, uh, Adrian next. Okay, to say, I just want to stir it up a little bit. <laughs> Get y'all up when you said they're not a, enough qualified. I'm like, no, wait a minute now. We're supposed to any group in America. It's somebody. Qualified it's somebody people. qualified. I know it's some qualified people. We just waiting for that name to drop. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I, it, it has dropped on my spirit. I'm just waiting for it to come to the earth. Now. Amen. I just feel like I don't know. Like I just when all of those people that came, like you mentioned, Ben Crumb, you mentioned or Al Sharpton. When all of those people die, God forbid, it's no time soon. When all of those people die, who is going to pick up that mantle? Like who gonna pick up the mantle? Who who is it going to be passed to? So that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, it starts with us. 
but are we sitting at those tables? Like, do we have direct connection? How we gonna how the, how people gonna know we up next? Like, I don't. Everything. So Rashawn has Rashawn has a response. This is getting good, my God. <laughs> so like, you know, I I, I want to tie it back into what Jakari was saying. Um, I 100% agree with, and, and I'm going to have to disagree with you. Um, I definitely think that a part of, while all of us can be and have the ability to be leaders, I think that we need to back somebody with a vision. So what made the civil rights movement so, so strategically important and, and for them to be able to be so successful was that they had a leader. And while Dr. King, he served as that central leader to white America and black America. If you ask a white American in the 60s, who was the voice of the civil rights movement? They will tell you Martin Luther King, because that's who they know, because that who, that he used his platform and he used his position to forward the messaging of the civil rights movement. Now, like, like uh, Shante said, I've, helped to uh, plan a, a social justice march the other day. And it's, it's a lot of people around him. And so a major part of you know, any movement is having a leader who serves as the voice piece, but having other visionary leaders around you who are doing things in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world to forward the messaging. The, the, what white people fear the most about black people is for us to be on one unified front. And so while there are other people across the country who are doing great and marvelous things, you know, trying to forward the messaging, if we don't get on one agenda together, if we don't decide this is the policy and this is the agenda that we are going to push and forward, then we will never be successful. Racism in America is about power. And until we are in the, in the place to control power, then we will never be able to be successful and we will never see change or equality in our country for African-Americans and people of color in general. And so yes, there we all can be leaders and that's a great thing but we all need to be leaders backing the same agenda and the same mission and vision and so that that's that's my little two cents <laughs> okay well you touched on one part the civil rights movement right so we have the civil rights movement and then we have the black lives matter movement i want to do like a civil rights versus black lives matter how do you what what is the difference is there even a difference can we kind of like talk, Rashawn's ready. Can we kind of like touch on that a little bit? <laughs> you, you want to go, Jakar, or you want me to go? Who you go. Whoever wants to take that one, because I know that can be a little touchy. Yeah, that's challenging right there. So we see these cycles, and we can go back before the civil rights movement. And again, oppression is about power and being able to enforce that power over another person. And so the same way that African-Americans, black men and women who wake up, who are afraid to be pulled over by the police, that's the same way that the disciples felt in the Bible when they were being chased after by Roman soldiers. Like, we, it's a cycle. And so the civil rights movement was so amazing because they, again, they all supported this one mission and vision and they were able to pass, what, three acts in a matter of maybe four or five years shortly after the death of Dr. King and Malcolm X. Like they passed the Voting Rights Act, the, Equal, the Housing Act, they passed the, the Women's Rights Act. So like all of this was inflicted and able to, to become, came into fruition because they all backed this mission. The problem that I had with the civil rights movement was that these two major leaders, um, they supported each other. And I, again, that's, that's why, and I'm not trying to start no conspiracy theories, but as soon as Malcolm X started supporting and, and, and following the mission and vision that Dr. King preached about, and maybe his method wasn't the same, but the, the, 
the messaging was the same. When he started supporting, that's when Malcolm X died. Now I'm not saying that white people killed Malcolm X. All I'm saying is that, you know, you white people are afraid of us being together. You saw it during slavery when, when they would, you know, whoop them or lash them or whatever they would do when black people would come together. And so the, the problem that I had with it was that there was this public, you know, separation of idealism. And so, you know, at the forefront of the movement. So they didn't necessarily agree with one another and they would bash each other in public spaces. The Black Lives Matter movement should be in a position where we learn from those things that the civil rights movement fell short on and the things that they were able to capitalize on and in, in order to enact change. So what I'm essentially saying is they're two different movements because the Black Lives Matter movement was started by two uh, wonderful women out in California who decided that they wanted to speak up for Black Americans, right? The, the civil rights movement started and, and really was driven by Southern African Americans who decided, you know, we are still operating in this space that is not far off of what our ancestors operated off, right? And so the same racial tensions and oppressions that they face, we still are, are facing today and we're gonna do something to, to change it. This is the issue, and I'm not trying to step on nobody's toes. This is the issue I have with the Black Lives Matter movement, is that, again, we don't have anybody to support or to follow or anyone's mission to, to go after. And so in any organization, I'm sure you all have, we've all been working in you know companies or organizations that have presidents and, and ceos and you know that your ceo you know your, your people get behind the mission and vision of your ceo or the organization and so because there isn't a clarity on that messaging for the black lives matter movement i feel like a lot of people are out here marching and doing what they do because it's a trend and this was hot and this was cool and so i don't think that we will ever be in the, in the position to enact change like the civil rights movement until we are able to come together again under this one auspice and say, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're doing it. And so it's my fear that the people who have died, you know, those who we are marching for, I feel like their living is in vain because we build up all this momentum at the forefront and then we lose it. And so how are we, I, I told you last night, Ashanti, I was like, you know, I am a logical person. And so you have to present to me facts. How can you show me that the Black Lives Matter movement has, in, you know, really enacted some kind of change in the communities that we're marching in since 2016 when they started? And until that point, until you can present me with some numbers or some acts or some bills that have been passed, then I just, it's hard for me to, to, to really get behind it. But like, I, I, I love it. I'm here for it. So is it safe to say that we are a group of individuals that just live in the moment? And this is an open question for anybody. Is this just a moment thing for us? Are we are we always in the hype of things? I mean, we were in the hype for Trayvon Martin and then we were in the hype for Tamir Rice and then, you know, like, are we always gonna be that in the in the moment generation? Like, how do you guys feel about that? Well, um, I want to go first. Um, and my thought process is we're not unified. Um, it wasn't unified back in the civil rights era. We're not unified right now in the Black, Black Lives Matter. So when you say, are we living the moment, it's not a we. It's an individual type of thing. Um, I'm not, and I'm going to go back to what Rashawn was, uh, was saying, you know, um, how, you know, he doesn't 
see statistics and numbers and he's, you know, fact driven oriented, all that good stuff. And, you know, you know, people just, you know, march and post and protest, all that good stuff. I'm going to be honest. I've been honest since day one, since Bethune Cookman. I'm not a fan of protesting. I'm not a fan of marching. That's me. You know, I believe if everybody, if, if we have 10 million people out here marching and protesting, who going to be doing the laws? You march the polls. Give me one second. Give me one second. March to the polls. I'm just calling it like I see you. Trans I, I voted. I voted, though. I had to vote. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, all, you know, a lot of protesting things, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I'm one of the things where I ask, okay, how can we uh, study? How can we really figure out, do research? There's a lot of research driven behind it. We just can't propose laws and policies um, and, you know, rights and stuff. There, we have to really dig down and dig deep to figure out how can we really make this happen? How can we make this come about? And that's research, that's study, that's sitting down with people. and you know, a lot of the elected officials, yes, they're not they're they're not marching every protest. They're not marching every march. You know, some someday they're gonna have to sit down and work. And I feel as if when it comes to social media, I think a lot of people are driven about it. They are just excited. You know, especially the black the black culture, even the white culture. I seen you know I follow a lot of white people. I follow a lot of white people. They they they're 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 excited about it for some reason. And for me, it's not exciting to me. It's sad. Why are we still Why are we still marching about things that should be should have been done in the past? Why Why are we still protesting about laws and uh, police brutality when this stuff should have been mitigated a long time ago? So the the thought process is what is it being done? And it's the work, and you know marching and protesting that stuff. That stuff is good and all, but that's not gonna get all the laws and stuff changed. It's sitting down in front of the congressman and um doing all that stuff so that's my thought process i'm in agreement with jakari as well on the marching and protesting i believe that there's a lane for everyone um and that is not my lane i am more of what committee can i join to help make the change and as rashawn mentioned the trend of making sure you post it on your social media there's barely anything on mine because I'm just, I want to get to the resolution. I understand there's a cause, there's an issue, and we need to be visible in the forefront that we are behind that cause. But then there are also the people that need to be sitting at these tables researching, like you mentioned, because a lot of it is research-based. How can we make changes if there's no real research being done? People just want to throw things out there to make things happen, and that's not how change happens. And so I'm one of the people that put me on a committee. Let me decide what committee I want to be a part of so we can get to a resolution. I want Ursa, to I'm following right up with you. <laughs> she already knows. I started answering that. When you said that, I was like, sad ass. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I think, okay, so it, it's one divergent view that I have. I believe that everyone has a role to play, okay? Everybody has a role play. Everybody, like you said, everybody don't need to be on the front line. Some of us need to be at work. Uh, some of us need, I'm an attorney. What does it look like for me? How am I best using the abilities that God gave me if I'm only on the front line? Would I not be better sitting at home making sure I cover my cases, making sure I, uh, the clients that are in front of me 
have uh, their constitutional rights not violated by the system, wouldn't I be a better steward over what God has blessed me with if I use my talents to the best of my abilities? That's my view. I do think there is a lane for those individuals who, who want to march and who want to um, bring um, that kind of um, light to uh, Black Lives Matter movement because I think without them, and I'll give you an example, I have been speaking about diversity. I have been speaking about institutional uh, bias. I've been speaking about generational bias because there are millennials coming into the workplace uh, at a higher rate than ever before. Um, they have not uh, made a, a, a training available, a mentorship available. They're training us the way they were training 20, 30 years ago. Um, millennials have a different view on things. Um, and all I'm trying to say is, this. We all have our lane. <laughs> we and, and, and we need, and, and I'm not going to say people are right or wrong, but I will say this. As I have gone into boardrooms and I have sat in, in rooms with people who are high as the Supreme Court of Florida, and I've talked about things like if you look at the walls and you look at the people who have come before us and we talk about um, microaggressions and we talk about uh, the, the mentality of showing us that we don't belong and you're looking at the walls and you're seeing all of this. Those things were, uh, thank you, and they pushed me to the side. But now, now I'm getting caught. My phone rings every day about some sort of presentation they want me to talk about. Now they want to have those tough conversations. Was it because I was talking about it back then or is it because people want, now are yelling in the streets? And so now they don't want to hear the yelling, so now they want to hear the talking. It's just a question that I have. <laughs> Go ahead, Rashawn. So I, I think I, I would have to say, and I know just speaking for my generation, that we are known as the microwave generation. And so we want to receive results, you know, right away. And that's not necessarily how policy uh, works in this country. Um, I would say that we are a very emotional people. Mm -hmm. And our emotional, our, our us being so emotional stops us and serves as an obstruction from us from being successful. Because we operate in this emotional state and in the moment. And we don't never think about the longevity of the decisions or or the situations that we are in. And so I always tie it into 2008 when black people elected Obama and how we relish in those moments and we celebrated for two years. And then as soon as the next election came around, we failed Obama right. because we didn't go back to the polls and elect, elect, re-elect the officials who were in there when he got elected in 2008. And so he was only able to enact change and, and do what he needed to do for those first two years of his presidency because he didn't have the support of his people to go back out in 2010 and put people back in the seats that he had. I mean, and so it's, it's just the, the issue that I have is that we are so emotional and we don't ever think about, you know, how am I going to, the difference between us and, and our, our clear friends are that, you know, they, they think about how can I hold down this group of people 10 years from now? Because what happens is, I, you know, you may, you may feel good right now, but in 10 years when we still in the same position, we still got y'all out here marching and, you know, y'all doing what y'all do, I, you know, they could care less. And so we have to get out of that, 
let's operate and function in this, you know, this now and think about how we can do something to affect enact change in the future, you know? So you talked about us being an emotional people and that kind of goes into part of our next question that poses, have we oppressed ourselves within our own community? Mm -hmm. Because you said we're so emotional, many generations we have previous are still angry and we have built up anger amongst each other. So yeah. have we oppressed ourselves within our own community? Yeah. We have. And I, I think we also have oppressed ourselves when we talk about aspirations. Mm -hmm. When we when we have our community, we do not prepare our, our children in our community on a large scale to to take these positions that they need to take to be in the places to make the changes that need to be made. To and I think that's the biggest form of oppression that we can have is stifling our future. Right. And so we talk about oppression, yes, and, and we talk each other out of our dreams. And I'm not going to name any family members, but when I told them I wanted to go to law school, and they said, well, Adrienette, you're, you're already a professor. You already got a master's degree and an undergraduate degree and a great job. Why would you want to go to law school? And they meant, they meant that with the best intentions. But I'll tell you this, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think the, the black community suffers from that a lot of times is those good intentions that are not grounded in education or informed uh, decisions that they're feeding to their children and those around them. That's true. I don't feel like, well, I feel like, we, like you said, we're not, I don't feel like I was prepared growing up to compete or have a seat at different tables. I had to learn that as I went. And it's not because my parents didn't know, like didn't want to, they didn't know. I'm coming from, my, my mom is an immigrant, Jamaican. My daddy and my mama are Jamaicans. Jamaican politics is completely different from over here. Uh, so a lot, and a lot of the times when people come over to the States, they don't even want to be involved in all of this stuff that's going on over here because in the, in the back of their mind, it's like, I ain't trying to make nobody mad because I'm not trying to get deported. I'm going to come over here, do what I have to do, and that's it. Make sure my family's good, and that's it. So a lot of I had to learn, and I, it took me attending an HBCU for it to click for me. For, it, for me to walk on, at that time, Florida A&M's campus in, during the summer of 2008, and for them to say, you are black, you are somebody, you can go walk into any room and be the baddest thing in that room. You can compete with anybody from a PWI. You can walk away from walk away with that job. You can walk away with that opportunity. Them putting those affirmations and speaking over me for me to feel like, dang, you right. I already know I'm smart. Not, oh, I can have a seat at the table. And if I don't have a seat at the table, they are gonna make us they're gonna make a space for me at the table. I'm not sitting on the sidelines. So I feel like moving forward, we have to train our youth to have that mindset for them to be like, I can, I can have, I can, I have a chance to, you know, like, I feel like a lot of them, like, we don't, we don't really have that chance. So I agree. We are, we are oppressed and we oppress ourselves because a lot of the times our, like you said, our family members, they have good intentions, but some of them have bad intentions because they're jealous. So they allow jealousy to overpower them. So they start, they see you progressing, see you doing things. See, see I, like for instance, I tell everybody when, when people first met me, the car was the first thing I said I wanted to do. 
uh, being the president of the United States. And until this day, you ask me, what is my end goal? It's the president of the United States. How I'm going to be in the White House. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know that I'm going to be there. But the fact that I have that, I had to conform myself to even have the mentality because I did, I thought I wasn't good enough because I ain't seen nobody that looked like me in the, in the president. They got Jamaican parents. Who can, like, who? Who? <laughs> and it took for me to see, like, be amongst politi- politicians that look like me. Be actually on the floor, you know, like, seeing the process of how, like, bills get passed. Even with lobbying, how you know they have those backroom conversations to make sure their clients got what they need. Like it took for me to be exposed to that world for me to actually get it. So now that I get it, what am I gonna do to make sure that those that's coming behind me? Because I'm gonna die in a, like now nowhere near in the future. But like, <laughs> but like when I get river, oh, I'm trying to like pass the hundred. I need to make sure that everybody that came behind me. Their table is set. They got what they need. So now my work is done, and they're they they took the, my wisdom and they're putting it and changing, being a change within their communities. So the 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 Bible says, okay, train well, up a child in a way he should go, okay. and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. Not depart. Um, so when you look at religion and you know the movement and the uh, moment thing. Again, it starts with the mind, you know, uh, training up the child. It starts with how, you know, they, they are brought up. They are brought up under the mindset of, hey, you can do it. You will do it. We will get this done. We will create a plan. They will grow up saying the same thing. Um, you know, I, I'm just like you. I, I can't speak for everybody. I don't know everybody's story. But, hey, you know, I, I didn't have all these resources that I know now. I don't. I didn't know everything then. My mom, parents, and them biological, they didn't know this stuff. So, for me, I had to learn it as I grew as I you know went to college, grad school, and just moved. Because I know I moved by all over the world. So for me, it's just one of the things where it's like, okay, I know the knowledge and the resources that I have. How can I ensure that those people know those, the youth, the the, the people that's, you know, you're younger than me, same age, old, same age as me, can have those same resources as well. And if the mind is not together, because you had said something that was kind of honestly scary to me. You said you want to get to the White House, but you don't know how you're going to get there. Create a plan. The plan may not be, the, the, the plan may not be the way, the, the plan may not be. Don't come for me. Listen, listen. Don't come for me. Listen. Because I hear a lot of people saying, I want to do this, but I'm not how I'm going to do it. You know, I, I, I always I say, listen, you, I, my, listen. My vision is plain. You're not about to come for me because I'm going to get to the White House. Let's respect I, each I, other. I can't <laughs> a plan. Mm-mm. I can, uh, I no, can you, no, you listen. To, just listen. I can create a plan all day long. I got to make sure that I am aligned. Okay? So when I say I don't have a plan, it's because... I have not aligned myself in that purpose yet. That God fulfilled purpose yet for me to get to the White House. So when I have, I wasn't saying I as uh, listen. I wasn't saying as if you're not going to get oh, there because you will. I had to make it was, sure. just, it was just okay because you're not about to put me out on this podcast. <laughs> it was just the mindset of you know we hear a lot of people say, "Hey, we want to do this, we want to do that," and you said it too. Well, what what is this person going to do? How are they going to do it? Let's create a plan to get it get it done. I know you got a hundred thousand plans. But let's try to, you know, really enact them. When it comes to the Black Lives Matter, this, these solutions, let's enact them. You know, let's, let's, you know, you know, I don't know everyone. And 
I guarantee y'all know people I don't know, vice versa. So how can we work with you know, our contacts and our network and just come together as a unit? So I wasn't coming for you. We're working together. We're going to come up together. That's right. We are in the White House. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, since we since we talk about Bible, you know, I often, you know, think about the story when Moses led the children of Israel out uh, from under Pharaoh's grip. Um, and so I think about the story, not because of what happens at the beginning, but what happens at the end of Moses's life. Um, when he dies and God speaks to Joshua and says, I want you to now be the leader of these people. And the most, the, the, the greatest comparison between the two generations, because they're actually two generation, different generations of people. The people that Moses led out were not the same people that Joshua took over. They were the children and grandchildren of those people who Moses led out of Egypt. And so I think about how when Moses was at the Red Sea and he parted the water and, you know, this was just so amazing to the children of Israel. They were like, oh my gosh, look at what he has done. Like, oh my, if, if I see somebody part a, a pond today, I might be like, listen, Jesus is back. Um, and so I can only imagine what they felt like when they were freed from slavery. And so when I think about the death of Moses, I think about the situation where Joshua gets the, the children of Israel to the Jordan River. And if you've ever been there, I've had the privilege to go to Israel and see what it looks like. It's a very shallow and narrow river. Um, but it tells us that the, 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 the stream was very boisterous. It was, you know, aggressive at the time. And Joshua tells the children of Israel that, you know, we have to walk through the water. And so they are so like, they, they relished in those moments when they had Moses as their leader that they were like, oh my gosh, you know, oh, this is so great. And then Joshua takes them to this river and he's like, we gotta walk through. And as they walk through and get their ankles wet, they are essentially coming for his neck in the famous terms because they are like, you know, your predecessor, do you really even know, hear the voice of God? Do you have a relationship with God? Because our predecessor, your predecessor, he did all these marvelous things. And it reminds me of, again, going back to the civil rights movement after Martin Luther King died and how everybody wanted the next leader to be like King. And so because there was nobody who was supposed to come up because there wasn't a visible face of who is going to be the person that gives us or, or leads us after this person passes on. There was just this, this great mourn that came across the country. And even then, um, just shortly after, you know, Josh, just shortly after Moses died. And so I am reminded of that story because the same way that the children of Israel scoffed at Joshua because he was like, we got to walk through this because they relished in those moments when they had Moses who was doing all these great things that he was so visible with, you know, his relationship with God because they were still in those moments, they mourned for weeks and nothing happened and they didn't do anything and they weren't successful and they didn't walk in the, they got complacent in where they were. And so after King died, people got complacent in where we were. We got those laws passed and we was like, okay, we have made it. And we still, while we, you know, we have made strides, we still didn't go anywhere and there was nobody to take down after that. And so this movement, the civil rights movement, you know, in reality, what we're going through now is just a 21st century rendering of what they were going through in 1960. And, and, and they, 
the reason that we are still going through it is because we, again, we got the momentum built up and we did all of this and we got all this stuff passed and then we let it go. But there is so much more oppression and racism and, and struggle that black people and people of color have to go through that we didn't address in those moments when we had the momentum that we let this generation and the next generation down because the reality is we're not going to see that change in our lifetime. But how do we prepare our children to prepare the next leader? We won't see that change in our lifetime. Honestly, I would hope, I'm so sorry. Honestly, I would hope that we will be able to see that change because my adopted mom, she told me you know, years ago when they were advocating and stuff, you know, when she was younger, her father told them that they won't see the change. She's telling me she won't see the change. So when are people gonna see the change? So I think, I think there's a difference between seeing a change and making progress towards that change. And so our ultimate goal is to fulfill what the, what the Constitution says, that all men are created equal. And so until that point, that is the change, right? And so while it's like ha having a long-term goal. You have other goals that you have to achieve in order to get there. And I feel like our long-term goal is to see equality for people of color. And until we see that, then that is the change. But while we make the strides, of course, you know, celebrate and have fun and do all of that, but we, we can't let it die. We can't let the movement or the momentum die. And so that's what I, what I say when I refer to change. Yes, I know. That was my first episode. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in, but the conversation isn't over yet. So, you know, you got to come back next week so you can get part two of movement, moments, and religion. We're going to take it there. Yes, the conversation gets a little bit deeper. Um, so, you know, it's one that you cannot miss. So, tune in next week. Episodes drop at 12 midnight and I'm on all podcast platforms. Yes, I got upgraded. Go me. Toot toot. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Thank you so much for being so supportive. I love you guys so, 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 so much. But I need you to do one thing for me. Yes, just one thing. Please go ahead and like, share, and comment. Don't forget to leave a review. Yes, please leave a review for me. And just continue to support me and spread the word about this amazing platform. I love you guys so, so much. And thank you for tuning in to the Girl Talk Podcast. See you next week. Or no, you'll hear me next week. Bye.